James chapter 2, let's stand together and ask God's blessing upon us as I read verse 1 through verse 13 of James chapter 2. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless the reading of Your Word, but more than the reading, bless the preaching of Your Word, the, the Gospel. Lord, bless the explanation of truth and righteousness. Lord, cause us to hunger for it, thirst for it. Cause us to see our need for it. Lord, heighten our sensitivities for righteousness and justice. For, heighten our sensitivity against sin and injustice and sinful partiality and favoritism. Help us see and understand as we look at this text that our faith in Christ should affect how we live in this world. It should affect how we walk, how we talk, how we dress, how we compose ourselves in the things we do. So Lord, come and lead us and guide us in truth and righteousness. Come and honor your name in our midst by showing us the clear teaching of your word. And all of God's people said, Amen. I want to begin reading at chapter... uh, Verse 1 of chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not God, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak And so act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the, to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, James has seen fit in the writing of this general epistle to address what was either a really big problem or the potential of being a big problem. And we don't really know. We don't know if the illustration James gives us about the rich man and poor man coming together into the assembly, we don't know if that is a real situation that James is addressing or a hypothetical situation. Now, it really doesn't matter whether it happened or not. James is certainly condemning the practice of of sinful favoritism and partiality. Now, the context itself seems to flow naturally and nicely straight out of verse 27 of chapter 1. Look there with me as James again Uh, as, As James points out what this true and undefiled, this pure religion is in the sight of God. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, it seems rather nicely packaged here that James is giving us either an illustration of how they have stained themselves by the world 
that is practicing worldly judgments, practicing a form of judgments that was common in the, in the known world then, or he was saying, this is how you will stain yourself. Either they had already stained themselves by practicing those, that form of judgment that existed in, in that day, or he was saying, here's how you would stain yourself. Now, you would think after 2,000 plus years, we would have this sin conquered. But it's, it's not a sin that we've conquered. I think favoritism and partiality is alive and well. It's alive and well, and it is something that exists even in a very high degree in our own culture, in our own society, and among our own churches. And we need to be aware of it. We need to understand it, and we need to address it. One of the things we need to make sure we connect the dots with, uh, connect the dots to, and that is, my faith must be compatible with the way I live. My faith in Christ must be compatible with the way I carry myself, with the way I talk, with the way I conduct business, with the way I dress myself, with the kinds of friends I put around me. All of those things matter. The kind of job that I will have. I mean, all jobs are not lawful jobs. And that's important. And I don't mean to be crass and vulgar and dirty. But one thing that is I'm seeing, culturally speaking, is the, uh, the, 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 the applauding or accepting of the role of prostitution. That is something that's becoming less and less of a negative and more of, well, that's just the way people, you know, make a living. In fact, I just read this week an article putting it in a positive light. You know, it's been around since the beginning of time, so what can you really do about it? Well, now, it's obvious that they are not coming from a Christian ethic, isn't it? But what happens when we Christians read something like that? What happens when we are inundated, bombarded, and pressed to accept certain cultural norms or things that are becoming more and more normal? Now that's really the question, isn't it? In James' day, it was normal for those who were wealthy to get a pass in court. And that's what he's addressing here with. I don't believe that James is necessarily addressing worship. I don't think he's talking about worship. I think he's talking about the assembly where judgments are being made. In verse 2 he says, For if a man comes into your assembly, that word there is the word we use for synagogue. In the Jewish world back then, the synagogue was the, was the place, the, the property, where two primary things were carried out. Public worship and social justice. It's where the Jewish, it was sort of the hub outside of the temple. It was where the Jew spent a good portion of their time. Now, we know how important the temple was in the life of Judaism, don't we? That's where the priesthood resided and performed many of their functions. That's where you would go three times a year, make your uh, travels three times a year. That's where you would offer sacrifices. That's where we see the many thousands of Jews in the book of Acts, the beginning chapters of Acts. We see the Jews coming into Jerusalem by the tens of thousands because of the, the ceremonies of the temple. So the temple was a very important aspect of Jewish life. 
That's the place where God was represented and seen. And, and that's, it was his place, if you will, that he, where he resided on earth. But the synagogue was the second most important place. The synagogue was those, assemb- those assembly houses that were apart from the temple. That existed in, in various towns. What do we see Paul doing in the book of Acts? We see Paul going from city to city, place to place. And where did Paul go first to preach the gospel? Paul would go to the most reasonable and logical place first, and that is the place where God's people were gathered to worship. And he would preach the gospel there. He would preach the Old Testament. He would preach Christ out of the Old Testament and demonstrate that the crucified and resurrected and ascended one was the one spoken of in the Old Testament. The synagogues formed a very important aspect of Jewish life, even for those Christians. Not only did they worship there, but they also gathered there to settle social matters. Make judgments. And they would have judges, they would have elders, they would have men who were supposed to be of the caliber of character that were not partial. They didn't they did they weren't tempted by favoritism. That's what Moses says. You know, when Moses goes to ordain and elect a group of judges, remember what he says, look, don't be partial. Do not show partiality to the poor nor to the rich, but render true justice. And that was the mindset of the Jew. But what happens when these courts become compromised? What happens when these men who are supposed to render justice on behalf of the truth, what happens when they become corrupt? What happens when they become compromising? What happens when they show favoritism to the wealthy and they allow for the rich to abuse or to scandalize and to use the poor? Well, nothing good comes from that. In fact, there's great harm done. Now, James has this in mind as he speaks now to these Christians. And the first thing that James brings out after he, I think this is a continuation out of how we keep ourselves unpolluted and unstained from the world that we live in. Why? Because the world is full of compromising. The world is full of of abuse. The the world is full of, of, of an ethic that says, well, if you have uh, the right people on your side, you can practically do anything you want. Now we see this, do I, I don't really know if I need to point it out to you, but maybe for the sake of our young Christians here, we need to point this out. I, this is never more highlighted than when n- news networks gives preference to Hollywood actors on their social opinions. Whenever news, whenever the news cares about what certain actors think politically, who cares? The only reason their opinion is valued is because of who they are, how much money they have, how popular they are. No one's asking you for your opinion. No one's asking me. No one's asking the the rest of the fine and good people that live all around this church, right? They're not asking them. Why? Because they want to highlight the influential. They want to highlight those who are wealthy. They want to highlight those who are very uh, influential. That is, they are going to sway people by their opinion, just because, not because of their character, but because of what they have and who they are. So this is a the issue that's alive and well. Now, that's a worldly example, but let me give you an example that happens in the church many times. And why it is a problem for many churches and, and God's people suffer like they did in the Old Testament and they did in the times of, of James, they suffer today. And that is when, when elders are chosen 
When deacons are chosen, officers are chosen. When men are chosen solely based upon their economic standard, their wealth, their position, their lawyers, their, their doctors, they are um, high up in business, their CEOs are officers in a business, they are wealthy in the sense that they're, whatever they do, they're high up in. They're not, they're not chosen because of their ethics. They're not chosen because of their character. They're not chosen because they've been, they've been seen to handle the, biblic, the Bible correctly and rightly and apply it to themselves. They, they are solely picked upon who they are and what social status they have. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a problem among many Presbyterian churches. I hear this on a consistent basis. What happens when you have a pastor who is more of a CEO than someone called of God to render biblical judgment, to teach Scripture, to hold the brethren accountable spiritually? What happens when he's a compromiser? What happens when he is, when he gravitates to the wealthy of the church? What happens? The church body suffers. Christ's name's defamed. It's a hurtful place. What happens when sessions are, are, are great at managing a business but are poor in managing the flock? What happens? Churches suffer. God's, pe- not, God's people suffer. I, so what I'm trying to point out to you, brothers and sisters, this is a problem. It's a problem that exists today. So it's a problem that James is addressing 2,000 years ago. And it's a problem that we need to address in our own day. And that is the problem of sinful partiality and favoritism. Now how do we keep ourselves unpolluted or unstained from this world? Well, first of all, we we do not need to adopt worldly practices as Christians. In fact, I would say this. Any good that we see in judgments, courts, that comes out of biblical teaching. Any good you find in any court all over this world, any good, any any moment where there is justice rendered, where does that come from? It doesn't come from the world. It comes from the standard of justice being applied from the very beginning of the world, back when God made it. When the nations were dispersed, their continuity that they all had was, was what it was righteous and what was not righteous in God's sight. Where does continuity come from? And what we'll find is that there's all, there's all these variances, there's these variables, there's these things that culture values, guess what, that God hates. There are values placed on the externals that God hates. It doesn't matter how much money you have when you come into court. Your bank, the size of your bank account does not matter when it comes to rendering justice. The clothes you wear don't matter when it comes to, to the practice and the implementing of justice. It doesn't matter. Who you are, what name you have, what family you come from is not something that ought to be taken into consideration on whether or not justice is going to prevail or not. Okay? And we can apply this to any number of cases and situations and that's exactly what we have to do. Okay? This is, not, this is an economic partiality and favoritism. But let's face it, we should apply this to any number of areas where there, are, where there exists partiality based, based on those things that God hates.
I'm trying to think about how much, how far I want to go down this road because certainly we have time to consider many other things, but it doesn't matter, brothers and sisters, if it's, if it's the one who is rich or the one who is poor. It doesn't matter if the one who is white, the one who is black or Hispanic or Asian. It, it doesn't matter. Because these are distinctions that when it comes to judgments, when it comes to favoritism, when it comes to partiality, these are the things that God doesn't consider important. God doesn't consider one's economic status relevant to justice. It's right and wrong. Who has violated the law and who has upheld the law? Discernment. Distinctions need to be made. So we see certainly a problem in our own day, don't we? You know, there's a reason why it's, and I'm going to use terms, and this is not any in any way. I mean, you know, men that like to hunt hang around other men that like to hunt. Men that like computers, you know, kind of hang around guys that like computers. You know, the cheerleader type of girls like the cheerleader type of girls. And the more, you know, it, 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 right? It kind of, but see, here's the thing. There, this is not something that addresses necessarily associations and friendships. We all like people that we like. But when it comes to rendering justice, mm-hmm, when it comes to making de- de- determinations, when it comes stating the truth, you can't let people that like what you like influence your opinion. Everybody with me? To make a discerning, true, a, a discernment of justice, guess what? You must be impartial. It may be your friend. They may be wrong. Are you willing to say you're wrong? Mm. Maybe your child, maybe your parent, right? Maybe your pastor. Nobody gets a pass when it comes to God's morality and ethic, right? Nobody gets a pass. See, the, what, what James does, he says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. Right there, James hits the heart. If you profess to believe in Jesus Christ, you should never be guilty of favoritism. It's incompatible. It's incompatible. The faith in our faith in Christ is incompatible with showing the wrong kind of favoritism. Now, brothers and sisters, let me, I guess, in fact, this morning it's important to note, I don't want us to, you know, what we don't want to be guilty of is the, the, the excess of the pendulum swing, right? You know, um, there is, in a sense, God showing favoritism. How does, and, and the Bible says that God showed favoritism, and the Bible says that God's against partiality and favoritism. So there needs to be a distinction made between the two if we're going to understand it. God has an electing love for His people. He chose Israel. What If you go back and you read Deuteronomy, those first five chapters, because, you know, I didn't choose you because you were the best of the best. I chose you because you were the least. But I put my love on you. I showed you my favor. I gave you the law. I, I showed favoritism to you out of all the nations. But in this type of favoritism here, God is not showing favoritism to them and not the, to the nations. They will both be judged by the same standard, right? He just chose to work through a certain nation. Was, and see, people, listen, and is this not a problem today that some people believe that even if you just have Jewish blood, you're going to heaven no matter what? That's not the kind of favoritism we're talking about. See, that's the kind of favoritism that's being condemned. 
There are those who think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I don't really need to do anything and I have favor with God. Well, God also tells us in the midst of this national election that there is a remnant among that national election that what? Loves me and what? Keeps my commandments. Now, that is something that James actually brings out here. And it's something that we need to take note of. Notice the outward, notice how important the outward appearance is to the world. He said in verse 2, verse 2 and 3 sort of states the problem. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and there comes in a poor man, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing fine clothes and say, you sit in the good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool. Notice verse 4. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Now let's unpack that a little bit. Here's the problem. The problem is the emphasis is on the outward. Who you are. What you have. Notice how James highlights the clothes and the jewelry. Why? Because very powerful and influential people back then wore jewelry. Jewelry was a sign of class distinctions and status, right? Even the men would wear a ring or two, and if they were really important, they may wear even more than that. And, and, and likewise, the women. But the clothes also were a sign of importance. I mean, back then, let's just, the reality was most people, particularly of the poor class, only had one good cloak to wear. And that's the point that Jesus makes when He says, when you put your cloak up for interest, that is, I go to my brother Chuck and I want to borrow money, and he says, well, you need to give me something you know, as a collateral so I know I'll get my money back, and I give him my cloak. That is, the cloak was the outer garment. There was another garment under that one. And so I give him my cloak. Well, Jesus said, look, you give that man cloak back at night because guess when it gets cold in the desert? At night. Don't let him freeze. I would, go, I would go and get my cloak and I would sleep in it that night because I only had one. And then the next day I'd give it back to Chuck. Chuck, number one, he has confidence that I'm going to pay the loan back. But he's not making me suffer unjustly. Do y'all see how good God is? How God cares for both Chuck. He needs, he needs collateral. And for the man who must who finds himself in a place to borrow money, okay, not usury, make him suffer, unjustly suffer. So notice the emphasis that's placed on the outward. Now, verse four is important because in verse four he says, "Have you not made distinctions among yourselves?" And become judges with evil motives. Let's unpack that a little bit. This evil motive, what is this? Well, why is it that people give preference to the rich? Well, the obvious reason is for advantage. The, Prov- the book of Proverbs says that the rich man has many friends. Why does the rich man have many friends? Because he has a lot of stuff. He has a lot of influence. He has a lot of ways to, to bless people, right? And, and let's make no mistake about it. Wealth can be a huge blessing or a, a tremendous cursing, okay? Um, when wealth is used properly, tremendous blessing. When it's used poorly, great cursing, okay? He says, look, you judge, you make distinctions. You make What are these distinctions? You make distinctions God does not make. That's the violation for a Christian. Look, what is our moral and ethical standard? The world? It is not. The the Scriptures. The Scriptures form our ethics. Out of the Scriptures, we get the law by which we are as Christians, saved by grace alone, are to then implement in our lives as a standard of social ethics and justice. Only in God's Word 
is there life and light. Only in God's Word. God's Word is the only thing that pierces the, the darkness. Not the opinions of men. The Gospel of Luke tells us there are those things that are highly estimated and prized among men. But guess what? In God's sight, abominations. Abominations. It doesn't matter what men, women prize if they prize something that God hates. Right? It's not lasting. It's not going to last. And the reason it can't last is because it's contrary to the nature of God. And it can't last. Okay? But notice what he talks about. He talks about the evil motives. Where do motives originate? In the heart. What do you really long for? What do you really want? That's what James is getting at here. He goes, you know why you show partiality and favoritism? Because in your heart... You have evil desires. Now, he's already dealt with the man that looks in the mirror, hasn't he? He's already dealt with the one who studies the law, but he doesn't apply the law rightly to his life. He studies the Word of God. He says he looks into the mirror intently, studiously. The problem is he doesn't handle the content correctly. The problem is what he learns never makes it into his life. He wants to to hold a profession of faith on this side of, of the road. And on the other side of the road, he wants to live like the world. It's the same thing we have in in. Our social settings today, men and women who claim to be Christians, but who are also being embraced, who are also embracing the whole social justice theory, homosexuality, transgenderism, anything that the world has scientifically deemed okay. You can't walk both sides of the road, brothers and sisters. How you live, how you vote, who you support, who you don't support has a a direct correlation with your profession of faith. And there's not enough pastors saying this. There's not enough preachers saying this. Listen, even this portion of James condemns groups like affirmative action. James is not saying give deference to the poor. He's saying be just. But the common, the common rule is not the poor abusing the rich. That's not common. What's common is the rich abusing the poor and distressing the poor for selfish reasons. And that's sinful. And we should never support such a thing. We should never, we should never okay so, uh, that. Okay? Now, so he deals with this motive. But notice what he says in verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor man. How so? Because you've made the poor man think he is less than he is. By mistreating the poor man, by making the poor man sit in the back of the court, by not allowing the poor man to state his case fully, by not allowing the poor man to bring witnesses. Guess what? He don't have the money for witnesses. The rich could hire attorneys. The rich could hire witnesses. You know, the rich often are more educated. They articulate themselves better. We all know the power of a silver tongue. We all know the power of speech. I love listening to good speeches. I love listening to, to people who... The, the art of rhetoric is lost today. But when you hear someone who has that gift of rhetoric, they captivate you. But what happens when you are captivated by the wrong values the wrong laws, the wrong morality and ethic. What happens? Well, you better 
have a good, solid handle on your faith. And in the end, your faith must conquer. It must, it must prevail in the situation. It must give way. Your faith must give way to the honor, to the honor and glory. That's what he says there. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith must give way to the glorious. The, notice the superlative James uses here. Not just Lord, but the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He gets deference. I'm going to side with Christ who is full of glory over anything else. I think there is a, a reality that James is highlighting. You have the, the, the glory of the wealthy as their clothes, their rings, their money. The glorious Lord, what does he own? What do we read in Psalm? He owns everything. He owns it all. See the difference. But when we choose poorly, when we make the wrong distinctions, when we show partiality and favoritism, then not only do we dishonor the poor man, but we actually support the one who's doing the harm and damage, which is the, the sinful rich person who is using his power and influence to do wrong. It hurts everybody. It hurts everybody. And then James even highlights this. He said, why would you show partiality to the ones that's hurting the church? Now, favoritism is a sin. It's a moral issue. Showing partiality is a moral problem. It's not a social problem. It's not something that can be educated out of you. It's not something that you can just learn uh, not to do. It's a moral issue. It starts in your heart. What are your motivations? Now let me just address some of the things that I guess why we shouldn't be impartial. And I've already mentioned some of these, but I, I want to make sure we hear it and that's important. Why, why are we to be against Sinful partiality and favoritism. Well, because it does hurt others. It does hurt others. When judgments, when, when, when justice is not rendered, people are hurt. When men are not found liable that ought to be liable, people are hurt. And oftentimes it's groups of people that are hurt. When we fail to render justice, brothers and sisters, we're hurting someone. And it goes against the very royal law that James is speaking of here. Notice what he says, right? In verse 8 he says, If you're fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Brothers and sisters, do you want to be discriminated against? Do you want to be discriminated against because you don't have the money to support yourself in court? Because you don't have the money to hire the best attorney? Because you don't have the, the, you know, uh, the money to hire the expert witnesses? You still want to be discriminated against? No, you don't. You think about Leviticus 19. Let's turn there with me. It's good to go back and look at this is nothing new. Nothing new at all in the sight of God. And um, look at verse 15. You shall not do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Now look at that. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Notice how that, that commandment is emphasized with the statement, I am the Lord. Now, I think there are really two things about that statement, I am the Lord. Number one, you may get away with it. That is, you may be able to slander your neighbor, 
You don't go to jail for that. But guess who comes against you? I am the Lord. You see, all crimes cannot be, every crime cannot be addressed in court. But what happens to those crimes that we seemingly get away with? What happens when we show favor? I mean, when we show favoritism, what happens when we show partiality? No, nobody judges you, right? I mean, you get away with it. It doesn't look. It looks like you're. Hey, you look like um, you look like the psalmist, right? When it says, "I look around me, I see the wicked prospering." You know what? If you know your Bibles, what does the Lord say? I'm the Lord. I'm getting away with it. I come. I take care of it. Where men cannot tread, I take care of it. I'll get this done. You know what? Men can only address the outward man, right? We don't, we, we don't believe in thought police, right? We don't. I mean, one of the things that you want to establish in court is motive, right? When you're in a capital crime situation, you want to establish motive. And how do you establish motive? You establish motive by the things you say. I mean, if you went and told somebody you hated that person, you know, you're, you're here, you're in, you're in court, and you're being judged for murder, and you say, oh, I had no animosity against that person. It was an accident, but yet you've got ten witnesses that said, oh, he railed, and he said he hated that person, he couldn't stand that person, he wished he didn't live. And I, You see, things you say and things you do present motive. Now, God knows what's there. We can only judge on the outside of man. But God knows the heart. And that's where God deals with us. Amen? That's the conscience that I was talking about earlier today. Your conscience condemns you when you are guilty of favoritism. When you are guilty of showing sinful partiality. When you are guilty of rendering uh, an unbiblical discernment or justice in an area so it hurts others secondly it misrepresents the lord jesus christ as christians we are to uphold the glorious name of christ and how are we upholding the name and honor of christ if we are if we are guilty of supporting that which is contrary to his glory how do we do that See, how we live, how we, how we dress, how we want to be presented, how we want to present ourselves, how we want to be seen, all matters. You have to ask yourselves this, Christians. Is the way I carry myself, is it pleasing in Christ's sight? Or does it dishonor Him? Thirdly, it's inconsistent with salvation. It's inconsistent with salvation. We've been saved out of darkness unto light to do what? To do righteousness. We've been saved out of the delusion of injustice, out of the delusion. I mean, we can convince ourselves that only, only this kind of people deserve this and that and any other. But once we are enlightened, once we've been given new hearts, once our eyes have been opened, it's that kind of discernment and, and display of, of morality is incompatible with our salvation. Are we saved or not? Have we been delivered from evil or not? Think about your salvation. Guess what? You were guilty. I was guilty before the face of God. Only Jesus came and bore that guilt and crime upon Himself and took it away. We are guilty of sin in Christ. He washed us. We're no longer guilty, not because God just winked at it and it went away, because Christ took it to Himself. He made our guilt His very own guilt, as if He made our sin His own sin, as if He had done it Himself. And He didn't. He said, your sin's my sin. It's incompatible 
It's incompatible with true justice. It's incompatible with true salvation and grace. Let me tell you, has your salvation made you gracious? Hasn't it given you a heart for the destitute? The poor? And I'm not talking about sinfully. I'm talking about rightly. Has it not made you sensitive and attentive to the down and out? If not, brothers and sisters, my question for you is, have you really come to experience saving grace? Before God's sight, you and I were down and out and unable to save ourselves. And then fourthly, it's a misrepresentation of God. When we show sinful favoritism and when we show sinful partiality, We are misrepresenting God. What happens when the world sees the church compromising? Well, they're lost. We're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be the anchor of true morality and ethics. We're supposed to be the the light shining upon the hill. Remember what our Lord Jesus said. He says, does a man light a lamp and then place a basket over it? No, he lights the lamp and he places it in the highest part of the house or the hill so that it can be seen by others. The Lord did not light the lamp of this church to compromise. He lit the lamp that it might be seen. And it can only be seen when you and I are particular and interested in carrying out what God has called us to do and to do it in the way that God's called us to do it. That's it. We're not to make... Listen, and I want to end with this. Be careful of of being influenced by outward things. (laughs) Hey, be careful of beautiful people. Be careful. Be careful of influential people. Be cautious. Be careful of the charismatic personality. Be careful. Because if they're wrong, they have devastating effects. Devastating effects. Be careful. I think that warning is here. Be careful of the outward. Secondly, be careful of your own heart and desires, selfishness. Be careful that you have such strong wants and such strong desires that they mislead your judgments. Well, I like that person, so I give them a pass. Be careful, beloved, because that's selfishness. This is your ethic. This is the book of your morality. And it's clearly seen in the life of Jesus Christ. Read the Gospels. It's clearly seen in his own life. He never showed partiality. He condemned those who were wrong. He supported those who were needy. He, 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 even, he even rebuked his own disciples. Be careful that your desires are so strong that they lead you to make terrible distinctions and show partiality and favoritism. Thirdly, be careful of drawing unbiblical distinctions. What's important? What's important is not always outward, is it? It's inward. Character. And I say this because what happens when you grow up and you go off and you marry someone and you are in a church and you've got to, it comes time for you to vote on an elder, are you going to vote on the one who is qualified biblically or are you going to vote on the one who's the business person? Are you going to vote on the pastor who is actually a pastor or are you going to vote on somebody who is more business oriented? Who are you going to vote on? 
Who are you going to support? Be careful of drawing unbiblical distinctions and making those priority. And we can do that in worship too. I mean, I've been focusing on judgments, right? But I hope you can make the, I hope you take the next step and apply this in other areas where you need it. And secondly, second, or fourthly, this is highly important in courts and in church courts. And I say this for two reasons. Number one, where church, where biblical church discipline is abused. There's only two ways to abuse church discipline, not to practice it at all and to overpractice it. That's your two options. You cannot practice it, and then you can make an unbiblical distinction, we're loving. You can forego it and say, well, I know Jesus commanded it, but, We are real sensitive to love and we're going to draw an unbiblical distinction and pride ourselves in love. That's that's what I was just talking about a moment ago. Or you can exercise it to the point where everybody is scared to say anything or do anything. Both are detrimental and harmful to the church of Christ. We have to render biblical justice we have to be gracious and we have to be loving when we do it be careful be careful brothers and sisters of of wrong motives motives that are not desirous uh, of, of honoring the glorious Lord Jesus Christ be careful that your motivation is not to do what the Bible says but to do what others wants you to do be careful brothers and sisters that you make a judgment that will make you popular and accepted among your peers versus being 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 um, applauded by heaven okay I have stated a problem I believe it's a real problem today I believe the answer is faith Faith in Christ, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Or are we going to bow in submission to Him, honor Him, obey Him, or are we going to let the world influence us in a way that has a detrimental effect upon God's people? Listen to me. As church members, my last point, I promise. If you choose, or I choose to walk according to this world, we are going to bring to this church harmful destruction. It'll be harmful. We cannot walk with this world and walk with God and His people at the same time. It will have negative effects. But we can all at least agree the Bible is the source of our ethics. Jesus is our motivation. His glory is our value and trust. We want to walk with Him. And as we stumble together, we stumble as a people loving each other, but yet desirous to render that which is only right and true in God's sight. Let's pray.